Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Finally, finally, the Bruins have started playing hockey again. I am excited about it, people. Get excited because the Bruins are back. There's no more COVID issues keeping them off the off the ice right now. Uh, there is actually, I guess, a little bit of a COVID issue. I know that DeBrusque just went out with a COVID issue, but whatever. Hey, we're back to playing hockey. I'm excited about it. I'm going to start off the show talking about it, all right? I know that not everybody loves hockey out there as much as I do, but we're going to start off the show with that. But it is a, a show that has a mixed bag. We have a little bit of everything to talk about, a plethora of sports information to go over here. We have Bruins, obviously. We have Celtics topics. We have Patriots topics. And we even have a little bit of MLB stuff to go over as well. So, this is going to be a jam-packed episode. A nice Wednesday episode for you guys to tune into. Thank you for tuning in to WKKL. I really appreciate it. It's the brand new year. And like I said, the, the Bruins hadn't played. I had talked about this in previous segments on the last couple of shows here. The Bruins had not played for the second half of December. They didn't play any games. They had six games off, all postponed. And they weren't able to play for the second half of December. So, in some cases, you kind of look at that and you think, hey, that's good for a team that was not headed in the right direction. They were not They were having some scoring woes. They were having some injury problems. They were having uh, the, to deal with the fact that their best players on the team are pretty old, right? Whether it's physically, mentally, the actual age, they're pretty old. The, the, the big talents on the team, Bergeron, is mostly what I'm talking about there, but you know, Marshan is, is getting up there as well. So we have some of our more important players getting to a different age, and it's good to have a little bit of a, a break at times there. Though you have heard me complaining about this season schedule for the Bruins throughout the entire year because their schedule has been terrible. It's I mean, the amount of games that they've played compared to everybody else has been terrible. And now we are sitting after coming back and having a nice little three-game win streak to start off the, 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 the comeback here from the COVID time off. You're now sitting at 17-10-2 on the season. That's good enough to be in the second wild card spot currently. Now, there are a lot of other teams that have games in hand over you. Some of them have five, six games more played than the Bruins. So the schedule or the standings is a little bit weird from that sense. But all we can talk about right now is how good this Bruins team has been playing since they've come back from the break. Now, you can say that it's a little bit been a little bit of puck luck, too, especially in this last night's game, which we're going to go over. We're going to talk about what happened in that Devils game. But we also had the game against the Sabres. Huge comeback win. Being down three goals. You know, battling back in the third period and being able to win that one in overtime. Huge for the team overall. You then had the game against the Red Wings. A good Red Wings team. A team that has, you know, built themselves a nice little, I mean, they're not the best, but they're young and they have some talent and they're starting to creep into the race. And they obviously in the standings, they look better uh, than they are. But once again, we have to remind ourselves that the Bruins haven't really played that many games. So some of these teams have a lot of games in hand or more games played in this season. So the game against the Red Wings was great. You dominate them for five to one. Swayman had a good game. Uh, you know, it was it was it was good overall to see the amount of scoring to to have nine goals through the first two games 
after coming back off of a long stretch, and at the at the beginning of that long stretch, before they had gone on their little break, like I had said, team wasn't scoring that good. They just weren't. It was just uh, we we were starting to see a team that was floundering and and trying to find their identity really. And you come out of the break, and the best thing that this team did, or that Bruce Cassidy did specifically, is he finally changed up the lines. And he and I'm hoping that this is going to be more of a permanent solution rather than just a couple of weeks here, and then they go back to the way it was. But we've moved Pasternak down onto the second line there. You moved Craig Smith up to play with Bergeron and Marchand because anyone can play with Bergeron and Marchand. I love Craig Smith. He is a great player. I'm not trying to take anything away from Craig Smith here, but literally anyone can play with Bergeron and Marchand, and they will still consistently be good. I just they you are going to be playing with two of the best offensive minds in the entire sport in Bergeron and Marchand. They're going to put you in the right spot. So I was happy about that. Pasternak goes down to the second line, gets paired up with Taylor Hall. So you have two very skilled offensive players on the same exact line there. And now they're obviously going to have to figure out their chemistry and everything like that. You bring up Eric Haula from the third line to be your second line center because it seemed as though Charlie Coyle just wasn't really working with Taylor Hall. They weren't really getting that, that combination, that chemistry that you really need. So you move Coyle down to the third line. You bring Haula up to the second. And now all of a sudden through three games, this team has scored 14 goals. 14 goals in three games is a ridiculous amount of scoring to have had over this, this short period of time. And I know this is something that's probably not going to last. Obviously, you can't keep this level of talent going or this level of success going. There's a little bit of puck luck involved. Like I said, I want to talk about the Devils game, and we're going to do that in the next segment. But this team has scored now 14 goals, I can't say it enough, in three games. 14 goals in three games. They've let up some goals in two of those games, and both of those were in uh, Linus Allmark's games. I I've been calling him Linus. I need to start calling him Linus, so that's how everybody pronounces that name, but whatever. So it's it's been a little rough from that side and the goaltending side of things, and I will talk a little bit about Tuka Rask because there's been rumblings of him coming back, and he's now playing with the AHL team and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to be interesting there, but man, I'm excited about this team right now. I'm excited about the line changes. Please, Bruce Cassidy, please do not change the lines. Keep it the way it is. Let's see if we can keep this momentum going, all right? Now, I want to talk about that Devils game, like I said, some of the goals that have happened when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We open the show talking about the Bruins. I'm excited to have the Bruins back. I hope you guys are too. I'm sure that there's a little contingency of Bruins fans out there that listen to me, not as big as some of the other sports fans here, but some of us. Love that Bruins hockey. Love hockey in general. I grew up being a hockey player. It's a, it's a natural thing for somebody who grew up, grew up in the New England, the closer to Boston area there. Lots of hockey going on. This, is a, this used to be a hockey town. But we got the Bruins back. They've been playing really good hockey over these last three games here. They're on a three-game win streak coming off of the COVID break that happened in December. And it's been really nice to see. It's all been really nice to see because of the fact that Bruce Cassidy switched up those lines. I'm extremely happy about this, but I'm worried 
that in a couple of weeks, we're just going to see them go back to the way things work, recreate the perfection line, switch everything back up. And I don't want that to happen, right? Now, I don't know what's going to cause that. Obviously, what could cause that is losing some games. So the more they keep going here, the, the, the more wins that they can pile up, the more likelihood that this lineup change sticks, which would be huge because what is the one thing that Bruins fans have been clamoring for of these last couple of seasons, other than some of us who have been clamoring for Tuka Rask's release or trading, but that's a whole nother thing, and we'll get into that in a little bit. The one thing that most fans have been very much obsessed with this team changing is the lines. It doesn't make any sense when you are consistently a one-line scoring team to not switch up that first line to see if you can get a little bit more scoring on your second or third lines. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't compute. How can you look at this team over and over, game after game, see that the perfection line, the first line, the Bergeron, Marshan, and Pasternak line is great. It's amazing. It's very hard to deal with for other teams. We get that. But if the other team has to look at our, our squad and say, all right, if we can just deal with the first line, maybe they score a goal or two, but if we can just deal with that first line and really focus on them, the rest of their team isn't going to do much. They're not going to show up. They don't, they don't score enough on the second, third, or fourth lines to be able to be considered a threat. Other teams look at the Bruins that way. And if you're looking to be a championship contending team, you need at least two reliable lines to be able to score. So, moving Pasternak down to the second line, putting him with Taylor Hall, having two, arguably your two most dangerous offensive weapons on the same line in Taylor Hall and Pasternak. Yes, I know Marshan should be in that conversation as well. But putting Hall and Pasternak on the same line is going to be huge to keep going forward with. Now, you've had goals from all different types of players throughout this little streak here. Pasternak finally scored a goal in this game last night against the, the Devils. He had not scored since the end of November. So that was now, I mean, he only had half of December there, and then he had the other half he had to take off. But still, that's a long period of time for one of, if not your best goal scorer, to not score a single goal. So it was very good to see him get back on the right foot with a goal in that one there. Now, you do obviously have a couple of goals that happened in this one that were very puck-lucky type of goals. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. Sometimes you just need that. That's a part of the game of hockey. You need some puck luck to be able to get to where you want to be. And in this one here, you saw two of the luckiest goals that I have ever seen on the ice here. Now, I'm talking about, obviously, the first one that put the Bruins up 2-1. to one. When Nick Foligno bounced a shot off Blackwood's right shoulder and it landed on top of the net. And then you got Oscar Steen reaching under the crossbar with his stick and tapping the puck. which Then it bounced up off of Blackwood's other shoulder and in for a goal. I mean, that stuff, it, you don't, you can't even make that up. That's that's the, you know, the the movie theater hockey goal. The, the, the goofy thing that rarely ever happens. The one in a million shot. The, the I don't know. It, it's It's... Such a crazy situation to have that happen for the puck to even... When the puck even lands on top of the net, is just a goofy situation by itself. But then for you to be able to actually knock it off the top of the net and for it to go into a place that you wanted it to go, bouncing off of both the goalie's shoulders, I don't know. That that stuff is... That's, that's one of the luckier goals you're ever going to see. And then we had another one later on in the game that put the Bruins up 3-2 to two late in the second period when Lazar 
was for, uh, had forced a turnover deep in the New Jersey zone, and Frederick took a backhander from behind the goal line and banged the puck off Blackwood's hip. Right. So we've seen that before. That happens in hockey. You just try and throw pucks on net and things happen, especially behind the net. The goalie's looking one way or the other. Players do that all the time. They try and bounce it off your back. They try and bounce it off your hip, your leg, whatever it is, and try and get a little ricochet that's either going to go to one of their players or into a, a prime spot or it's going to go into the net. So that's a clear that's a tactic that they have. The other one, the steam goal, that's just crazy. <laughs> that's the luckiest puck luck stuff that you can get out there. But hey, man. I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter. As long as the puck goes in the net at the end of the day, it does not matter, right? That's all we care about is the puck going in the net. And right now the Bruins are hot with it. Like I said, I can't say this enough. This stat is crazy. Three games, 14 goals. That doesn't happen in hockey. That's so, that's a ridiculous scoring pace. You're almost scoring at a five goal a game clip per game. That just, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's I love it. It's great. We're getting a lot of help from a lot of different people on the ice. You're getting a lot of goal scoring from all different players all over, and I'm hoping that that's because of the line change. It could be just because they're well-rested right now, right? They didn't play a lot of games in December, so they, they just have the skates right now to be able to do it. And, and there has been a lot of effort, a lot of effort goals, a lot of that kind of stuff going on, but man... The puck luck is always nice, too. When you don't have it, it's the only thing that I talk about because it's a terrible thing. You know, the other team is getting bounces. When you do have it, it's the nicest thing in the world, and you just feel happy all the time like I am right now. I'm excited. I'm ecstatic. The Bruins are back. They're playing good. They're winning games, and we need to keep this going. Now, I'm not convinced this team can actually do anything in the playoffs, but I don't want to be too much of a downer right now for any of my Bruins fans out there. We'll see how things go. We'll see if Sweeney can make some type of a move at the trade deadline, maybe get another offensive piece, and then we'll see if they actually stick to these lines and make sure that they actually stay together. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to start talking about some other stuff when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, I told everyone at the beginning of the show that this was going to be a mixed bag, and we were going to be able to talk about all four of the major sports. So I'm going to throw it over to some baseball talk right now. Regardless of how you feel about the MLB and how everything has been going with them, they have had some interesting things go on in, or in and around their league over these last couple of weeks here. Obviously, they are currently in a lockout, and it seems as though both sides are unwilling to budge. As of right now, I know that there are no plans for these two, the ownership group and the players group, to talk even whatsoever. They're not even wanting to talk right now, which is a tough thing to do when you're trying to go through a negotiation and end a lockout. If you're unwilling to even talk, then there's no chance that things are going to get settled. Uh, pitchers and catchers start in about six weeks, right? Five, six weeks, whatever it is. If you keep pushing this off, that pushes that off. Once that gets pushed off, once the, the pitchers and catchers gets pushed off, then spring training gets pushed off. Then the regular season gets pushed off. So the longer they take to be able to do this, the longer we're going to have to wait for baseball, which is, you know, in some people, that's okay. But baseball has gotten to the point where it is so boring and it is so hard to watch a three and a half to four hour baseball game, then who cares at this point? Who cares what they're doing with this lockout? You've lost a lot of fans, baseball. And I've even told you before, I'm more of a casual fan of baseball now at this point just because of their unwillingness to change anything about the game. 
obviously over these last couple of years due to COVID, they have had to make some rule changes to help with the game. The seven inning double headers and trying to switch up things to, to make the game a little bit more entertaining. But it's not working. It's just not, they're not, they haven't changed it enough, I feel. There are some key things that still need to be changed about this game in order for it to be the pastime that it used to be that people love to watch at all times. Sure, playoff baseball is still great, but playoff any sport is always great, in my opinion. You could say the most casual of hockey fans love playoff hockey. I, it, it's, it's just more intense. The intensity factor of being in the playoffs makes it what it is. It's not because your sport is great. It's because you're in the playoffs. It's do or die on every pitch, that kind of a thing. So that makes baseball interesting. But the other stuff, the 162 games are in the regular season of nine-inning baseball where the games average three and a half hours long. Who stays up for those games? You've heard my rant before if you've listened to this show enough. You've heard my rant on baseball and how the majority of their fans at this point are the people who turn the game on, sit on their couch, fall asleep, keep the game on because of that. That's where they get the most of their ratings. The fan group for the MLB, I'm sorry, the diehard fans, they're getting to an older age, people. I'm sorry if you're listening to me right now and you're a diehard baseball fan and you're a little bit older. You have to understand that's where the majority of the fan base is right now. The young, you know, new generation fans, they're not really coming in. So it's tough. It's tough right now for baseball, but I'm done with that rant. I've done it enough times. Let's talk about some of the stuff that they've done recently around the MLB that has been interesting to me. Now, the newest drama that is happening currently around baseball is that MLB is letting go Ken Rosenthal, a 12-year MLB employee, a reporter who has been considered one of the best MLB reporters. He goes on MLB TV shows, all these kind of things. He is getting let go or fired, or whatever, or his contract is not being renewed, whatever you want to say, because of comments that he made about the commissioner, Rob Manfred, all right? Now, he has made some interesting comments here, but I still think that this move to get rid of Ken Rosenthal, who is one of your best employees, is tissue paper soft. These Some of these things, some of these comments, I get it. You can't have somebody dissing the boss in this fashion, but when we're in this type of a scenario here where the league is looking to change some things and and people are questioning the leadership, it's understandable to question that, at least. It, it's it's understandable to do. I get that you get, okay, Rob Manfred got his panties in a bunch and now all of a sudden he has to go and fire somebody because he feels disrespected. I get that. But, man, this seems soft right here. Now, some of these comments that he said, he, he has described the perception of, Mon, of Manfred as being beholden to the owners and out of touch with the players. So he's just saying basically that he likes the owners. He doesn't really like the players as much. It kind of seems true. Usually the commissioner is owned by the owners, right? Look at, look at Roger Goodell over in the NFL. Do you think that that guy actually makes any decisions on his own, or do you think that it's all the owners doing it for him? I think it's a similar thing in baseball here, especially such an old league. Another comment that he made. Rosenthal also wrote that Manfred was making dead-on-arrival proposals and tone-deaf public remarks while negotiating with teams and owners. So he's going in there saying things that he knows is going to get denied. He knows that nobody's going to go for it. He's just going in there throwing out proposals that just mean absolutely nothing. He's doing it just to kind of, you know, it's it's the Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined kind of thing. You're just showing up. You're not putting in any effort. You're just throwing out ideas. And they're terrible ideas is what he's saying. Uh, 
and and Rosenthal has also said he's described Manfred as lacking the statesmanlike presence and superior vision of the best commissioners. So, I mean, hey, it's pretty disrespectful. I'm not going to lie. Pretty disrespectful, and I get it. You don't want that kind of stuff going on in your league or from your own employees, right? He's an MLB employee. He goes on MLB TV shows. He reports for the MLB. He writes columns. He does all this stuff. I get it. He's being disrespectful, but man, he's just voicing the opinions of basically everyone, right? Everybody looks at Rob Manfred and he's, and they're saying these exact things. Just nobody's writing them down on paper. At least nobody who is of that level. Nobody who is ingrained in their system as much as Rosenthal. So to me, it's soft. It's soft to get rid of that type of a player. Have a little backbone. Say to this person, man, we don't like the disrespectful comments, but we get it. It's a tough time for baseball right now. We're working on things. And allow Ken Rosenthal to keep his job. He's going to go find another job somewhere else. He'll be fine. But man, I don't know. It just seems a little soft to me from Manfred and the rest of baseball. And there was one thing that he did say, Rob Manfred, that is, that I did like recently. So I'm going to tell you about that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're talking baseball right now, people. Two segments in a row of baseball. I told you at the beginning of the show, this is going to be a mixed bag. We're going to have a little bit of everything. I'm trying to talk about as many different things going on in the sports world as possible. It's the new year. It's 2022. We got to check in on all the sports. And we were just talking about last segment, the Ken Rosenthal drama that's going on. He's getting fired from baseball after 12 years working with the MLB Network and reporting for baseball and all this kind of stuff. He had some comments against... Rob Manfred, it, admittedly disrespectful. If you haven't heard it, this this whole show will be up as a podcast uh, at the, or you can just search the Claptrap anywhere. You can go on wkkl.fm and find the podcast episode. You can go on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever. If you missed the segments before this, go ahead and go search for the show. You'll be able to hear everything that uh, Ken Rosenthal said and the disrespectful comments, whatever. But there is something else I want to talk about, and this is in the commissioner's favor. He actually had some comments recently that I really enjoyed because it looked like he had the mindset of some of us, I guess more casual fans, in the way the best ways to change the baseball game that we see today played on the field. Now, I've been a proponent of putting in a pitch clock for years now. They've been trying to work it through the minor league system to see if it's going to work. And I think that once you get to that position where you can put one, implement one into the MLB, it's going to be a lot better for the game. Get those pitchers moving. Get the game moving. You'll cut off time on the overall product, and it will be better for the overall watching experience, I think. Back in the day, pitchers used to just get up there, grab the ball, and huck it at the plate. Get the, pit, get the ball again, huck it at the plate. That's what they did. Games were a lot faster. Games used to average two and a half hours long. They now average three and a half hours long. Why? Because the nerds, the nerds of baseball, the guys behind the scenes have gone in there and said, hey, if you wait a little bit longer, you'll get one mile an hour faster on your fastball. So wait, wait as long as you can. Touch as many things on your face as you can. Adjust as many things as you can. Hit that rosin bag. Do your cap, whatever. Spit on things. Wait as long as you can. And that is ruining the game of baseball, in my opinion. Now, the other thing that's ruining baseball right now Another major thing that they could easily fix, in my opinion, is exactly what Manfred commented on. So I'm going to read his entire comments here, and then we'll discuss. He starts off saying, 
let's just say you regulate the shift by requiring two infielders on each side of second base. What does that do? It makes the game look like what it did when I was 12 years old. It's not change, it's kind of restoration. That's why people are in favor of it. I'm hopeful that we will have productive conversations with the MLBPA about non-radical changes to the game that will restore it to being played in the way that is closer to what many of us enjoyed historically. Perfectly well, well said, Rob Manfred, all right? We are not overall overhauling the entire game you're not going it's not going to be a game that you guys that the even the diehard baseball fans don't see or, or don't understand you're not going to change all the rules just a few specific rules to get it back to the way that they used to play it back when rob manfred was 12 years old watching baseball thinking this game is great i only have to watch it for two and a half hours too it's not taking up a huge chunk of my day this is awesome very high paced lots of excitement that's what we need in this new baseball today. The shift has gotten ridiculous. When you have your four infielders lined up from second base to either the right or left side of the field, and usually the right in that scenario because you got to keep a first baseman on first. I get that. It is so hard for these players to be able to get hits, and it just makes it so much easier for the pitcher when you can have three players standing in short right field because you know this guy pulls it to the right every single at-bat. He rarely, if ever, 10% of the time or less, hits it to the left side of the field. So just line up on the right side of the field, and he's going to get it to you. It, you see these, these hard-hit ground balls that would normally get through into the outfield and be a single, fielded by this guy who's 10 yards into the outfield and easily throws you out at first base. That is just so demoralizing. You can't get hits in that scenario there. So you just make it so that there has to be two people on each side of the second base. It, you know, keep you into more like your positions should be. Now, you could still move somebody pretty close to second, but you could have two guys pretty close to second base, one guy almost on top of second base, and he can run over to that side or something like that, but it's going to make it more difficult for these shifts to actually work. And that is something that Rob, Rob Manfred is hitting the nail on the head. He, that is perfect. That is exactly what we want to change about this sport to make it more watchable. Get the offense back in it. Get get players able to hit ground balls out of the outfield or out of the infield and get hits here. And then also implement the shot clock or the pitch clock. Those are two things that you could change so easily in baseball to make such a difference on how the overall game is played, how uh, people approach the game, how much excitement you're going to get from the fans. Everything is going to be changed by doing just two simple things. Like, like Manfred said, I'm hopeful that we will have a productive conversation with the MLPA about non-radical changes to the game that will restore it to being played in a way that is closer to what many of us enjoy historically. Perfectly said. We're not doing radical stuff, people. We're just doing the little things. The little things that can get us back to the baseball that we knew and loved growing up, as everyone did. Everyone loved baseball when they were growing up, probably because we had more time on our hands. But anyways, 
it's a great thing to be able to see the, the commissioner going in that direction and suggesting changes like this. Now, I don't want you to suggest things like Ken Rosenthal said and just go in there with tone-deaf public remarks and uh, making dead-on-arrival proposals, but this one here is not a dead-on-arrival pro proposal as far as I'm concerned here. You need to go forward with this one here because it could change a lot of things in a very good way. All right, let's switch it up again here to some more topics when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The Celtics are currently on a two-game win streak. That's nice to hear, right? It's a good thing. You're getting in the right direction here. The Celtics are on a two-game win streak right now. They are sitting at 18-19 and 19 on the season. They've moved back up into ninth place in the conference. Still in that playoff game if the playoffs started today, but they're moving their way back up. Two wins here, both of them without Tatum. So that was, you know, and Tatum is going to be back now. You have a game against the Spurs tonight, and hopefully, it, or, or it should be, Tatum is back from the protocol, and he will be able to get this team going as well. But before that, the two games prior to that, you had Jalen Brown really being the catalyst for this team playing well, right? I had in last week's episode there, I was kind of crushing Jalen Brown for his his inability to have an efficient game, especially when Jay, Jason Tatum was not there. This was your chance. This was your moment to be able to step up and really take the reins of a team. When I've heard Celtics fans questioning, why do you want to get rid of Jalen Brown? Why do you want why why do you want to move on from him? Right? Well, of the of the guys that you have on the team, why are you going to move on from Jalen Brown? A lot of fans even want to move on from Jason Tatum over Jalen Brown, and I get it. It's because Jalen Brown is actually a smart and thoughtful individual, and Jason Tatum seems like a whiny baby who's just a superstar, right? But unfortunately, people, I still got to say, in this league, that's what wins. The whiny superstars is what wins you championships. So do you just want to have a team that you can like, or do you want to have a team that's going to win you possibly a championship? Because if you want the championship, you're going to have to deal with the superstar babies. If you just want a very likable team, a Bridgie-style Isaiah Thomas team there, that's great. But you're going to get bounced in the first or second round of the playoffs every single year. Maybe by a miracle you get a ridiculous path and you get to the conference finals. But if you have that type of a team, you do not go to the finals, you do not pass go, and you do not get a championship. It just happens that way. But you had a couple of games here that they were able to win. And now, it, man, green teamers out there, you're probably not going to love what I have to say about this stuff here because you only beat the Suns without Aiton, without, uh, without Aiton or Jay Crowder or even their coach, Monty Williams, were all out in this game. So yes, you had Booker and yes, you had Chris Paul. So I guess if you want to take from that that it was a good win, you can. Obviously, we didn't have Tatum, so that's understandable. And you got to win the games in these scenarios here. It was a home game against the Suns, the Suns being one of, if not the best team in the league. They were depleted, though. As much as I'm sure that there's some haters, some Jay Crowder haters out there, he is a starter for the Suns, and that Suns team is a top-tier team in the league. So, without him, without DeAndre Ayton, uh, and without their coach, Monty Williams... It was going to be tough for this Suns team to show up, but you had the return of Marcus Smart. That seemed to clearly be a boost for this squad. Both Smart and Brown had 24 points each in this game. 
It stopped the three-game losing streak for the for the Celtics. You had Rob Williams having one of the most electric triple doubles of all time. I believe it was a first of this triple double because he had 10 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Crazy stat line there for a Robert Williams. I was not expecting anywhere close to that amount of assists. 10 assists in the game, but he was able to get some great passes in this one here. He also added in five blocks and was five of five shooting. That's the first time that's ever done, been done in NBA history. All right. That's the first time anyone has ever had a triple double with five blocks and shot perfect from the field. That's an efficient game. That, that, is a, that is the Rob Williams that we all hoped we could see when he, they signed him to that big extension. Or, or semi-big extension, I should say. They got him on kind of a, a deal, I guess. But what, they're may, pay, paying 10 plus million per year for him. So the problem is, he's very injury prone still. He even sat out the next game against the Magic. That was one of the reasons why you were down against the Magic in that game. Because you didn't have Rob Williams in that one. So that was tough by itself, but... Great game from him. Smart certainly seemed to be the big spark spark for this team who, who shot 54% in the game and had seven players in double figures. So to all those people out there who say that Marcus Smart is the heart of this team, Marcus Smart is what makes this team go, this was a point for you. Put this one up in the scoreboard for you guys out there, the Marcus Smart believers that say that he is what makes this team go. When he came back, the Celtics turned things around. They're now on a two-game win streak. When Jalen Brown was by himself, he was very inefficient. They, they weren't able to win games. It was still looking bad at that point. It's just been tough. You know, this team has just been very tough, in my opinion, to root for this year because I thought originally we were going to get a Bridgie-style squad. I keep saying it, but a Bridgie-style squad that was going to give you 110% effort every single night, and then we're going to scratch and claw and fight their way into getting into the playoffs, and then we were going to be the scrappy underdog team that was going to try and go up against some of these bigger squads and see what you can do in the Eastern Conference, that, that Eastern Conference that has gotten much better this year. But I was talking to people and all these fans, especially on Twitter, at the Claptrap or at Zach Clap, if you want to follow along. I had a lot of fans telling me, don't sleep on the Celtics. We still have the Jays. They can compete. They can be a top four team in the Eastern Conference, blah, 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 blah. Well, this team has been so hard to root for because of the fact that they just have that individualistic style. They just they have just continued to seem like they don't want to play team basketball. I don't know what you're watching if you're looking at this squad and thinking that they play well as a team. They don't. They almost win in spite of each other sometimes. That just seems to be the case. Sure, when everyone is hitting shots, it looks like it's team basketball because any ball movement then turns into a, a, a points because they are hitting their shots. But if they're even, you know, mediocre on their shooting percentage in a game, they just basically have no chance. You have I've seen too many games this year with under 20 assists in this or in their games for this squad. And I've said this a million times. If you have under 20 assists for a team total in any game, you're losing that game. You're just losing that game. There's not enough ball movement. And this is supposed to be the type of team, the Bridgie style squad that is supposed to move the ball and get good looks for everybody. Because other than Jason Tatum, and I guess you can say Jalen Brown, there is nobody else that should be just getting consistent shots or an individualistic spot or, or uh, ISO style movements. Marcus Smart, I'm looking at you. It shouldn't ever be that way for certain players. So that's where my frustration has stemmed from. 
the fact that this is supposed to be a Bridges squad, and they play horrible team basketball. They just do. I don't care what you say. They just do. All right? So that's been frustrating for me, and we'll see how things go on moving forward. I do want to talk a little bit about the Magic game, though, so we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. The Celtics played against the Orlando Magic at home, and it was looking bad, people. It was looking real bad. I'm talking the Celtics were about to go into a very dark space or very dark place if they had lost this game. They were down huge in this game at points. They got outscored 35-20 to in the third quarter alone and got to a point where they were down 14 points late in the fourth quarter to the Orlando Magic. What are we talking about? What this who green teamers out there, please. How was this team down so bad against an Orlando Magic squad who didn't even have their best player? And their best player, it, I, I guess is serviceable. They don't have anybody on this team. They don't the, the Orlando Magic are a bum team and have been a bum franchise for many, many years. It's just the case. You should be able to go in there with no Jalen Brown and no Jason Tatum and still beat the pants off of the Orlando Magic. You just should be able to. You should be able to beat that team. Now, Jalen Brown obviously had a career night in this one here. 50 points in the game. 21 of those points in that fourth quarter, he was on fire. But the fact that he even had to get to that point to get back into a game against the Orlando Magic is so sad to me. Now, I had said before, Rob Williams sat out the game with a sprained big toe because that's a Rob Williams thing to do. He gets he has one amazing game where he has a triple-double and he's a dominant force, and then the next game he's out because he's injured. That just seemed, That is the epitome of Robert Williams. I hope that it changes. I hope that he in the future can be a more consistent player and not get hurt. But unfortunately, especially in the NBA, the big men are always the ones with injury problems, and once you start getting injuries, you never really come back from that. So that's why I was a little iffy on that contract that they gave him, but we'll see how things go. Still a lot of time. He's still very young. We'll see if we can change things around. But you had Brown scoring out of his mind in this one. The Magic even had a chance to put things away late in the fourth quarter, but they were missing free throws left and right. So you, you got lucky. The Celtics got lucky in this game that they were able to even put it into overtime. And then in overtime, you had some great performances. Schroeder had a good game in this one here. He was a huge step up bringing him back. He was actually hitting shots. He was making plays, passes, all this kind of stuff. So Schroeder was a huge factor in this one here. And obviously Jalen Brown was doing his, his thing in overtime as well. Now both teams were without their top scorers. Tatum and Cole, Cole Anthony were the top scorers in this one. But man, it still feels as though this, this Celtics team should have beaten up on an Orlando Magic squad. That is just not good. They're just not good. I'm sorry. And, and, and I had been telling you guys this beforehand. That I feel like the month of January here is going to be huge for this Celtics squad. They have such an easy road through the month of January, that they need to dominate this schedule to get back into a good position. I've said this before. You are playing teams like the Spurs. You have the Spurs tonight. You have two games against the Knicks who are worse than you. You have two games against the Pacers that are not good. You have the Sixers, who everybody always tells me that they, they own the Sixers, right? So we'll see how that goes. Regular season 
and his last this season and last season has been great for that. They do then play the Bulls. That is going to be your hardest game of January on in the middle of January, Saturday the 15th against the Bulls. is going to be a really tough one there. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference. And then you're playing the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Trailblazers. The Wizards are technically better than you, but I'm not worried about them 100%. The Kings, the Hawks are worse than you. The Pelicans again. And then you finish off with the Heat. So to me, you're only playing two teams that I'm assuming you're going to lose to. The Bulls and the Heat, I'm assuming those are two scheduled losses. The Bulls are too good right now. And the Heat are dogs. They just, they they know how to beat you. You saw that in the conference finals a couple years ago in the bubble. They just know what Jimmy Butler, assuming that there's no major injuries in this game, the the Heat will beat the Celtics at the end of January there. But otherwise, the other games, you should be able to have a well over 500 record against the rest of those remaining teams, as I said. The Spurs, the Knicks, the Pacers, the Pelicans, the Trailblazers, the Kings. These teams are all squads that you should 100% beat. You should beat these teams. If you're going to tell me out there in Celtics green team world that this team is a possible top four team in the Eastern Conference, you should have an amazing January record. I should be looking back and seeing something where they're like 10 games over 500 in the month of January, at least. That is what I'm expecting from this squad. If they're as good as people have told me, and if they're going to actually get back into things and turn things around, you need to do that. Tatum needs to go on another big streak. Brown needs to keep doing what he's doing. Schroeder needs to come back and continue to be strong. Marcus Smart needs to be the heart. Robert Williams needs to stop getting hurt. This is what needs to happen for this Celtics squad to be able to get back into things in the NBA, in the, in the playoff race right now, because they are still sitting in a position where, as I said, if the playoffs started today, you're in the play-in games. You're in the play-in games, and that's not acceptable for a team that, and for a fan base that had been telling me that this was a top-four team in the conference. Uh, I had originally projected that they were the number six team in this conference here. Now, you have teams like the Cavaliers who are ahead of you. They're going to fall back down to earth. The Wizards have been an interesting squad there. The Hornets, the Raptors, these squads are all technically ahead of you or right there with you. And they are not better than you. They should not be better than you, at least not this year. And then you have some overachie- or underachievers, in my opinion, like the Knicks and the Hawks. Maybe not as much the Knicks. Maybe the Knicks, I just overrated them. But the Hawks should be better, in my opinion. So the, the standing is still a little jumbled, and there's still a lot more time to go here in this, in this league, in this season. But man, if the Celtics don't come out and put out a good performance in the month of January, you have to be scratching your head and wondering if this team can even make it to the play-in round if they're going 500 or worse in the month of January against these bum teams. All right, so Green Team Nation, I need to see it. Celtics, I need to see it. I need to see you guys dominate the competition you should dominate. Or else, what are we looking for here? All right, we still have to talk about the Patriots and everything that happened with them over the weekend when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. It is time to finally start talking about the Patriots. I know I normally dominate these shows, mostly talking about the Patriots, sometimes talking about the Celtics and Bruins, but as I said earlier in the show, and as you've been listening along and hearing, it's been a mixed bag, talking about all the top four sports. We had a little bit of baseball stuff earlier. We had some Bruins to start off the show. We just did Celtics for the last couple of segments there, but now... 
We are getting into the 10-6 and six New England Patriots and what is going to happen with them and the future of this season. Obviously, you had the get-right game against the Jaguars, which was great. It was great to be able to see this squad have a get-right game after two absolutely horrible performances against the Colts and the Bills. It was nice. It was a good bounce back. But did it mean anything other than clinching a playoff spot? No, it didn't. Can you pull anything from this game? In my opinion, mm, barely. There's nothing much to pull from this game here. This was just a, a, a college squad that you played. This Jaguars team was lower than the low. They just, I, there's nothing that this Jaguars squad did that, you know, other than that one moment where Trevor Lawrence had that big run that he broke off kind of early in the game, and then you had the Treadwell uh, big 40-yard catch that ended up netting the, the Jaguars a field goal there. They didn't really do anything else in the game. You got a garbage touchdown later on to bring it to 10 points for the Jaguars, but otherwise it was just a complete and utter domination by the Patriots, which is good. I guess if you're going to take anything from it is you get a little bit of that mindset back. You get you wake some people up. Some people who have been playing extra uh, poorly recently are getting a chance to kind of step things up at this moment and play good in this game. So maybe you're getting it from a confidence standpoint. You're getting something from this one. But when guys like Christian Wilkerson are coming in and having a beastly performance with multiple touchdowns, you just know that the Jaguars just don't have it, right? I'm not trying to take too much away from Christian Wilkerson, though he is just a practice squad guy who got brought up because Nikhil Harry was a bum in that game against the Bills. So I'm not I'm not trying to just destroy Wilkerson here. I do think that the kid, it was good to give him a chance. I, I will say that the first thing that I thought when I saw Wilkerson out on the field is that I like giving that type of a guy a chance because you never, especially with wide receivers. And I say this with wide receivers and cornerbacks specifically in the NFL, that position sometimes is an attitude thing. The 25% of what you're going to be able to give on the field is due to your attitude. If you're a cornerback and you talk a bunch of crap and you get in players' heads and things like that, and you talk yourself up and then you make plays and you talk even more and you keep going, that is part of your identity as a cornerback. The same thing happens for wide receivers. Now, obviously, the wide receivers need a little bit more skill being able to catch the ball, and that's why they say if you're a player that has all that skill but can't catch, that's why you play defense. That's why you go be a cornerback. The cornerbacks are the wide receivers that failed at being able to be consistent catching the ball. And now they're just going over there covering the wide receivers. Right? So that is what that whole position, to me, the wide receiver versus cornerback battle, 25% of that battle is your confidence, is what you think about yourself. Right? So in this game here, it was nice to give Christian Wilkerson a shot. Now he's got a little bit of confidence. Do I think that he's going to do anything against the Miami Dolphins if he even plays in that game? No, not necessarily. But I love being able to give those types of guys a chance, especially in a get-right game, because it allows them to kind of maybe build that, that, that mentality in their own heads. And maybe that'll lead to something in the future. Maybe they'll, they'll turn it on. He seems to have some decent hands. He seems to be fast enough. Now, obviously, one of those touchdowns was just a complete blown coverage from the Jaguars where he was left completely wild, wide open. 
He had another great catch, but he also dropped a, a crucial, not crucial, what am I saying? Nothing was crucial in this game. It was an absolute beatdown. He dropped a third down pass that he shouldn't have dropped at a moment that didn't even matter. But but if it was in a crucial moment, that would have been a huge part of the game. A third down drop, that's what you don't want to see. Then he also dropped another touchdown. He should have had three touchdowns in this game. It was right in his hands. He barely got touched, and he dropped an easy touchdown pass, in my opinion. So... What can you pull from this game? Not much. Not not much at all. You got the guys getting right with the interceptions. You had one for my guy, Miles Bryant, which was nice. Uh, I do think that he got a little bit targeted. And <laughs> is Miles Bryant getting targeted for BS penalties? Can I just can I just throw that out there right now? This is my guy, my guy, Miles Bryant. He had an absolute trash game last week. I'm getting all my buddies ragging on me about how terrible Miles Bryant is and blah, blah, blah. This guy is a role player at best, by the way, right? So I like this guy, but make no mistake about it. He is not, he should not really be a starter. He's the guy that you can bring in. You can spell people. He can play safety. He can play a little bit of, uh, you know, corner, inside corner. He plays nickel, those kind of things there. He's not going to be an actual starter on this team. But man, the Miles Bryant penalty that was called against his supposed push on Josh Allen running out of bounds was iffy at best. And then in this one here, you had an, a, a BS penalty to me for an unne- unnecessary roughness call on an iffy at best play when the five foot nine player in Miles Bryant somehow hit the helmet of the much taller wide receiver because the wide receiver bent down and put his head, head down. So then Miles Bryant, when going to make a, a you know chest tackle, or a midline tackle ends up hitting him in the head. I think that that was BS a little bit. So that I don't, I don't know. What, what I'm just getting on my Miles Bryant uh, uh, soapbox right now and trying to <laughs> try to talk for my guy there. It didn't really matter. I'm just joking. Really, he's not getting targeted. But it is tough to see that people are 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 or or that this Patriots squad has to rely on players like that right now just because we don't have the the depth that we wanted to. We don't have Jonathan Jones out there to be able to help us out. So is that going to be a major problem going forward? I don't know. It seems like it might be because coverage seems to be a tough issue, especially when we're playing against a better team. So I want to talk about that. I want to finish wrapping up the Jaguars game, and then I want to talk about the future, the possible matchups for the playoffs with this Patriots team. And we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're wrapping up the show here with one more segment talking about the Patriots and what they have going on. They had a, a huge defeat of the Jaguars, winning 50-10, to a get-right game, beating up on the lowly Jaguars. They've done it earlier in this season. They destroyed the Jets in a similar fashion. And does it actually mean anything? That's where I'm at right now with this squad, with this team. Did that game even mean anything? No, no, it really didn't. The only thing that mattered in this game is that we won and that the Miami Dolphins lost. Because once they lost, then we had a playoff spot. We were given a a playoff spot for the season. They have clinched it, and you are going to find out who the Patriots are going to play in the playoffs. Now, there's still a very outside chance that the Bills lose to the Jets next week, and then all of a sudden you have a chance to be in the number one spot in the division and hopefully get a home game. I'm throwing that out the window, though, right now. The Bills are not going to lose to the Jets. The Patriots could possibly even lose to the Miami Dolphins, but I think that both teams will take care of business and nothing will change in the in the standings there. 
that means that most likely the playoff matchups that this uh, Patriots squad could have is either the Chiefs, the Bengals, or the Bills. Now, at this point in the season, where we're at, you got to wonder what team this squad can actually beat. I, I, I'm sorry, Patriots fans out there were coming off of a nice win, and, and that meant nothing against a crappy team. Which of these teams, the question is, which of these teams do you think the Patriots have the best shot against in the playoffs? Because right now, it feels as though the Titans are going to take care of business against the Texans in the last game of the season. They're going to lock up the number one seed overall. And that's because the Chiefs messed up, lost to the Bengals, and now the Titans hold their own destiny and can get that number one seed. Now the Titans, man, that's a team that I'm scared of right now because of the fact that they are well-coached. They have a good defense, and they have the possibility of getting Derrick Henry, which makes their entire offense go back. And if they have a bye week to start off the playoffs, ooh, man, look out in that next week when they get, if they have, assuming that they have Derrick Henry back at that point, it's starting to seem every, all the rumblings have been that the Titans are going to get Derrick Henry back, possibly even for what would have been a first playoff matchup. But now it looks like they might get a bye week, so that'll be huge for them. That Titans team is going to be tough, all right? So I'm assuming that everyone's going to take care of business here. None of the teams that ha you know could move have any tough matchups. So at this point, I am hoping that the Patriots are going to get matched up against the Bengals. I do not want to see the Chiefs, and I do not want to see the Bills. I just don't. I know that people out there are going to say that they, you know, round three with the Bills, we think we can beat them. We've already beaten them once and blah, 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 all this stuff. They they are a good team, people. They just showed that Josh Allen can roll out of bed and beat you basically by himself. So right now, his team is low with depth in the secondary. That is going to be a major problem going up against teams like the Chiefs and the Bills. Regardless of how you feel about the Bills, they have weapons. They have enough weapons to be able to go against a Patriots squad. Now, the Bills' defense is obviously iffy at best, and the Bills' defense is probably the worst against the run that, that we could get for a matchup here. So that would be nice for the Patriots. But do you think that you can stop them on defense? Because I don't. I don't feel that way right now. I feel like this team is is just does not have enough depth in the secondary to hold a squad like the Bills accountable and not allow... Josh Allen to just run all over the field and do whatever he wants. I just don't think that we have that right now. We proved that the other night or the other day, the other game, when you had uh, Isaiah McKenzie going nuts and having a career year or career game against us, and Diggs was playing good, and you know you didn't see anything from Knox because we took their tight end out of the game, but didn't matter. They were able to still beat us, so it was very tough to see that and think that you're going to be able to go into the playoffs in Buffalo and beat the Bills. Give me the Bengals all day. Give me a team. I don't care what they just did against the Chiefs. I saw I, the Joe Burrow experience. Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase has been dominant. But if you don't think that Bill Belichick and this defense can scheme up enough to hurt a rookie or a, a, a second-year quarterback and slow them down, I, you, then you don't have any faith in the, in, the, in the scheming system of the Patriots. I think their best shot 
is to go against them. I know that we've had good game plans against the Chiefs in the past. We've held them to low points. We've been in games that we shouldn't have. Even last year, when you had Brian Hort, we shouldn't have been in that game. But because of a good scheming uh, system that we had in that one, you were able to stay in that one. If you actually had a legitimate quarterback, maybe you could have done something. But you play good against the Chiefs. I don't care. They're still dominant, and they are still able to whoop your butt any single game very easily. Same thing with the Bills, in my opinion, but the Bengals, the the advantage that you would have, in my opinion, over the Bengals would be huge for many reasons here. Uh, I, I believe, what one, first off, the fact that Joe Burrow would be playing in his first playoff game ever in his second season, he is going to be frazzled. He is going to be somebody that you can get to and actually, uh, you know, force some turnovers, force some some him to make some bonehead decisions, things like that. I believe that wholeheartedly. I feel also like on the other side of the coin, because we have a rookie quarterback, we're going to take the ball out of Mac Jones's hands and we're going to just run the ball down their throat anyways. I have no faith in that Bengals defense to be able to stop a nosebleed. So I don't think that there's going to be a problem for the run game for the Patriots. I also think the coaching advantage is gigantic in this one. Obviously, Bill Belichick has been in 19 career playoff years, whereas Zach Taylor would be in his first ever playoffs as a head coach. So the coaching advantage is huge as well. There are many reasons to want the Bengals in the first round, and I'm hoping that everyone else is following along with me on this one. I think that that is the best choice, clearly, for us to be able to face. If we play the Bills or if we play the Chiefs in the first, in the wild card, it is going to be bad. It is going to be really bad for this Patriots squad. And I'm going to talk about that more later on in the week. We're going to have another episode on Friday where we're going to bring in Andrew and we're going to talk all about it. We're going to also have the finale of the gambling competition. So if you're interested in that on the podcast, follow along as well. But this is going to do it for the end of the episode here. just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in. I appreciate it. We are starting off 2022 on a good foot. On a, we have Bruins, we have Celtics, we have the Patriots about to go into the playoffs. It is a good time, people, to be able to talk about sports. Maybe not baseball, but all the other sports. It's it's been a it's a good time right now to be able to talk about this. I'm excited about it. I will be back on Friday, as I said. I also said that this podcast this will be up as a podcast wherever they're found. Just search the claptrap, clap with two Ps. You'll find my goofy face on the front there. It's at WKKL.fm. You can also find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of those. Just search the claptrap. You'll be able to find it. I appreciate anybody for listening along. I'm also on Twitter at the Claptrap at Zach Clap. If you want to follow along there or interact with me, I would love it. Otherwise, you guys have a great rest of your week. I will be back on Friday. Keep it here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. See you later.